This is a message for those that work in manufacturing across the UK and Ireland. Do your engineering maintenance stores keep you awake at night? Are your engineers spending excessive time sourcing and finding the spare parts they need? Eric's on-site teams take responsibility for your indirect supply chain, including both your MRO procurement and inventory control. And, as the name suggests, we do this while being based on your site. For more information, visit www.erics.co.uk forward slash em. This episode of Engineering Matters is supported by The Optimistic Outlook. The Optimistic Outlook is a great listen for fans of Engineering Matters. It is a podcast for anyone intrigued by innovation across sectors, whether you're in healthcare, infrastructure, energy or beyond. The show is hosted by Barbara Hampton, CEO of Siemens USA, and offers invaluable insights relevant and impactful for all industries. I think what you're really going to like is that Barbara Hampton is not just a CEO, she's a thought leader in the corporate world. In the podcast, you often learn from her journey to the top of Siemens USA, getting invaluable lessons on leadership, decision-making, and navigating the complexities of the modern workplace. Barbara brings a wealth of knowledge, not just about manufacturing, but about its ripple effects across all sectors. Her perspective illuminates how manufacturing innovations are setting the pace for changes in healthcare, infrastructure development, energy sustainability, and more. Regardless of your industry, the optimistic outlook is a source of motivation and forward-thinking ideas. Barbara's expertise in connecting dots between manufacturing and other sectors reveals actionable strategies for innovation and leadership in any field. We invite you to explore the optimistic outlook and join a broad audience that values transformative ideas, including us. Search for the optimistic outlook wherever you get your podcasts. If you had a superpower, what would it be? And how would you use it to save the world? Perhaps you'd like to be able to become invisible and would use that to sneak into a mad villain's lair, purloining their perilous plans exposing them to the world. To leap to all buildings with a single stride, battling awesome alien adversaries. But what if you had X-ray vision and you could see through things? Perhaps you could look behind the cowling of an aircraft engine and see the combustion. That's not going to save the world. But what if you could look at a material and see its carbon content? Maybe that doesn't sound as immediately useful as being able to run faster than a speeding train. But it's a superpower that could save the planet. And it doesn't take some vaguely plausible comic book backstory like being bitten by a radioactive quantity surveyor. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Rian Owen. And I'm Johnny Dowling. In this episode, we've partnered with Tarmac to learn about a superpower everyone can use. The power to know the carbon embodied in a material, starting with concrete. Today, the carbon footprint of Klinker is quite high. 
when we're making concrete, we're setting about our stall to actually reduce the amount of clinker we use in our concrete by using cement replacers. So traditionally that's been fly ash from power stations, from burning coal, and it's been ground granulated blast furnace slag, which is produced the byproduct from the island steel making process. Today, all, most of our solutions rely on replacing the cement clinker with GGBS in the UK. Most of our GGBS has to be imported. Fly ash has fallen off since the uh, power stations started closing, the coal-fired power stations. So today we've got products where we're going up to 70-80% of ground granulated plus furnace slag, so GGBS, to replace the cement clinker and that's how we're bringing the footprints down. Our route to net zero can seem at times to be full of contradictions. As Robert Gosling, Tarmac's Head of Engineering Solutions, just described, one of the key ways we have reduced the carbon footprint of concrete is by replacing clinker with substitutes like GGBS or ground granulated blast furnace slag or fly ash from coal power stations. Clinker is the backbone of cement production. It is essentially a mix of limestone and minerals that have been heated in a kiln and transformed by this heat. When limestone is converted to clinker, CO2 is released. A substantial amount of heat is needed to start and sustain the chemical reaction, leading to further CO2 emissions. The clinker is finely ground and mixed with gypsum and often with alternative raw materials to make cement. Replacing the clinker reduces two of the key sources of carbon in concrete the fuel needed for the kiln and the carbon dioxide released as part of the chemical reactions. By substituting cement clinker with recovered waste from other processes. But in many of the world's most advanced economies, we have cut overall carbon footprints by shutting down the sources of these replacement materials. That is in part due to the process of deindustrialization that has been happening in these countries since the 70s. But it is also a result of our attempts to limit climate change. Replacing coal-fired power stations with gas and with nuclear or renewables reduces the amount of fly ash available. And ground granulated blast furnace slag is only easily available when you have a lot of local iron and steel production. GGBS is actually it's a finite resource, getting very expensive because of that. We're reliant on imports, so we're looking for ways actually to reduce our reliance on that on that GGBS. We're importing now. In the future, it's probably not the right thing to do to import from India or Japan. You know, that if they're generating iron steel slags there, they should use them there. But there are a range of novel ways of making concrete that can eliminate most, if not all, of the carbon associated with their production. And the development of new ways of fueling kilns, which we looked at in episode 228, promises to reduce energy emissions from processing. While the development of carbon capture may play a role in reducing processed carbon generated by the chemical reactions within the kiln. But it's important to emphasise that we can also reduce carbon footprints by looking at civil engineering in new ways. We can see many examples of this in work to improve flood defences, which are themselves needed due to the impact of climate change. 
Those innovations are being explored by contractors like BAM, as National Frameworks Manager Ruth Young explains. There are other elements in order to reach net zero. So bringing in circular economy, bringing in nature-based solutions, looking at design, lean engineering principles. I suppose there's many different aspects that can contribute to that net zero picture. So it's not necessarily just looking at materials and the carbon content of materials. Major clients and commissioning bodies are also thinking again, not just about which materials they use, but how they design their projects. That's something that Andy Powell, Innovation Manager at the UK Environment Agency, is seeing today in work on flood defences. In some cases, there you know, there's quite a lot of sort of concrete elements in coastal defences, and in other cases, um, you know, they're, they're quite sort of soft engineered solutions. Flood embankments using, you know, earth materials. We will already have uh, solutions that are real mix. It could be some um, some up, upstream up catchment solutions, uh, slowing the water down. Um, um, sort of flood alle- flood alleviation schemes will be uh, recreating the sort of uh, flood plain to an extent, ca- capturing that water um, that that would otherwise be flood water passing through and into the urban area. So that will be a key part of schemes, plus um, some um, hard engineering within within the town, um, flood walls uh, and such like. So already I think there's a real combination, but you know, uh, going forward, obviously, there's a, a big focus on uh, increasing the amount of natural solutions, working with natural process type solutions um, where, where we can. All of these measures make a positive contribution to limiting climate change. But they cannot stand alone. We can't just turn busy towns into floodplains. And if we do nothing, there are carbon costs associated with the damage caused by flooding. We've done some work looking at the impact from our work in terms of obviously we're, we're reducing flood risk and that has a, uh, a benefit both in, in terms of reducing flood risk directly but also in terms of carbon reduction as well. So you know, there's a carbon impact from flooded properties, drying out properties, replacing goods, replacing vehicles, uh, that all these are sort of high embodied carbon aspects. So um, we've worked out that our capital programme would deliver uh, about 268,000 tonnes of carbon equivalent reduction over the over that programme. Major civil works like this will always require steel and concrete, or very similar materials. One step on the path to net zero will be reducing the embodied carbon of these materials. Let's take a look at some of the ways that lower carbon concrete can be produced so that we can still build flood defences and bridges, railways, schools and hospitals. One of the things going on today is we're just launching ternary composite cements to go in our concretes. And this means that we can use up to 20% of the total cementitious is replaced by a limestone filler. Limestone is a relatively abundant resource in the UK. It's, uh, you know, in hard rock quarries. And we make a filler. In a ternary composite cement, 
an amount of cement clinker is replaced by limestone. That means that less carbon is produced from kilns, both in terms of energy use and emissions from the chemical process. It's cement clinker, it's filler, and the balance is, is fly ash or slag. So the lowest carbon version of these ternary uh, composite cements is, is a C6, which um, has a minimum 35% clinker. It can have up to 20% filler and therefore 45% of the slag. The C6 grade comes from the British standard BS8500. The latest revision of the standard came out a couple of weeks ago at the end of November 2023. The standard lists different types of concrete, showing their performance and ingredients, as Andy explained in an interview before the revised standard launched. The current standard in the, in the UK for concrete, BS8500, um, uh, works a little bit like a sort of recipe list. So if, if it hasn't got uh, Portland cement in it, below, say, 5%, then in effect it isn't covered within the, the standards. And there's also some restrictions on the, the different um, quantities of alternative binders to Portland cement as well. So, so restrictions on how much of, of the different uh, binders uh, that you can mix together. So the, the changes that are coming through with the, the next iteration of uh, BS8500 allow greater flexibility in the and the other binders being used together in combination um, therefore you're able to reduce further the uh, the portland uh, cement um, element within the binder without actually using alternative binders completely so they'll still be covered uh, within within the standard whereas um, alkali activated concrete containing no portland cement are not covered because they're below 5%. With the 2023 revision to BS8500, there are now clear recipes and performance standards for different types of ternary composite concretes. These now perform as well as traditional concrete, known in the standard as SEM1. But to completely eliminate the use of clinker, new approaches will be needed. One way to do this is through the use of alkali-activated cementitious materials or AACMs. All low carbon concretes have minimal clinker and maximum replacer. And the AACMs go a step further and totally remove clinker from the equation. So you've got a very alkaline chemical as an admixture and you're activating. This product doesn't actually need cement clinker. So we're activating fly ash, we're activating slag today with this, and there is zero cement. And that's why it's getting to the very lowest carbon footprint. Today, the alkali is used to activate, to make reactive in the same way as cement, the replacement materials, such as fly ash and ground granulated blast slag. Even more gains could be made by replacing these with something new. Something that, in the UK at least, we have easy access to. We've been looking at what is the solution to replace GGBS. And that solution is, is going to be calcined clay. There's a little bit of industry work going on at the minute, government funded with MPA and, and some of the key, the major players in, who, who produce concrete. Just checking those durability numbers out 
and most people, Tarmac included, are, are looking at how and when do we actually start producing calcine clay in the UK. We know okay. we've got suitable clays for this. In the future, the activation technology that we're using today in this AACM product, that technology probably works with calcine clay as well. So it could be with calcine clay, there's still a future with zero cement. Calcine clay can be processed in kilns like traditional clinker, but it doesn't emit processed carbon. That means the only source of emissions comes from energy used to fire the kiln. Calcining clay is when you're heating clay to about 850 degrees C. Nobody produces this in the UK at the minute, and there's some pilot plants popping up in Europe. And when you get new technology on the fuels, so you've got a, a clean fuel to do the heating, when you heat clay to 850, it doesn't produce carbon dioxide like breaking down limestone. You've only got to worry about the carbon emissions from the fuel. That produces a fine powder. We switch our admixtures a little, and then suddenly this calcine clay product, it's a powder, it's behaving and working just like a GGBS replacement for cement, which is also a powder. So you take the GGBS out of your silo at your concrete plant and you put the calcine clay powder in and that's how we go forwards. There are a range of new ways of reducing the carbon content of concrete. Ternary composites use fly ash or GGBS to replace cementitious material. These can be activated using alkalis, so they can be used to reduce the amount of cement even more. Calcine clay can be used in place of GGBS or fly ash without process emissions and potentially without energy emissions. And this calcine clay can itself be activated with alkalis, completely eliminating the need for limestone cement. But only one of these approaches, ternary concrete, is listed in BS8500, and then only now in the latest version. Before anyone can use them on site, they need to be sure how they will perform. That would normally be handled by the standard system. But the normal standards process takes time, typically five years between revisions, and with net zero deadlines just a few years away, that is time we don't have. So the British Standards Institute has worked with industry to develop a new approach. These are called flex standards, and one of the first has been produced for the concrete industry. It's called BSI Flex Standard 350. It's basically a, a compromise or a bright idea from industry, BSI and the ICE. How do we go faster to utilise some new concrete technology out with the current standards? The publication of the new BSI Flex Standard 350 is fairly important because it finally gives a, a definitive list of performance tests, durability tests that you do on the concrete. Very important not to go early. You have to know very thoroughly that your concrete's gonna last, you know, for a hundred years. Plus, if that's the design life, we can't afford any failures, but equally we've got to go quite fast with this technology. And and so how we bring standards on is is crucial. 
and the the BSI flex standard is 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 a total novelty really in the world of standards because it's totally a performance standard rather than a a requirement or a specification standard. BS8500 lists types of concrete. It describes their performance criteria and it tells you a recipe for making that concrete type. BSI Flex Standard 350 doesn't prescribe how you mix concrete. It doesn't tell you what the performance of a concrete will be, but it sets steps you can use to demonstrate a novel material's performance. Now concrete suppliers can identify a novel material, perform small-scale tests, and then, with the support of the right client and contractor, move to real-world testing. And that is what Andy, Ruth and Robert have been doing at Hexham in the northeast of England. In 2015, Storm Desmond hit northeast England. The storm formed an atmospheric river of moist air which soaked the region. This fed and filled the tyne which swelled, broke its banks and turned fields into lakes and submerged homes and community assets. Three people were killed. Around £870 million worth of damage was caused. And the recovery from that damage and loss created hundreds of thousands of tonnes of carbon dioxide to be released into the atmosphere. It was a terrible tragedy. And it's a type of tragedy that we see with increasing frequency as carbon emissions change how our climate operates. The Environment Agency set about planning how to alleviate flooding in the region. The Hexham scheme was providing flood risk management and flood protection, if you like, to, uh, to the, the, the town of Hexham. And so there's a, a range of different um, asset uh, types being, being created um, some embankments, but also some raised uh, raised walls. Uh, so those reinforced concrete walls were part of that scheme, providing that flood uh, flood protection for the community. The agency's response made use of soft engineering, of floodplains, and of earthen embankments. But it would also, where the tyne flows through the town, require some use of concrete, and this would be an ideal testing ground for novel materials. So it was actually BAM's initiative in the first place, really. That's where the idea came from. We were obviously involved in Hexham Flood Alleviation Scheme. We knew we were building two concrete flood walls along uh, the river up in Hexham, both equally about, uh, 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 you know, 300 metre long plus. And the idea came from myself and design manager in BAM who just thought, let's investigate low carbon concrete. It may be a good area to include it within the permanent structure at Hexham. Um, given what we were doing, it was kind of a simple flood wall uh, in, in a sense. We'd kind of done a lot of them before and we just thought was an area that we could include low carbon concrete and it basically went from there really because it then opened up the doors in terms of what was actually out on the market and how could it be included within the permanent structure we didn't want to go down the route of doing something within a controlled low risk environment you know within a site compound for example we wanted it to be included within the flood wall itself 
That fitted perfectly with the Environment Agency's approach to promoting novel materials, an approach that will, over decades, help to reduce the carbon emissions that produce the need for flood defences. As part of our net zero carbon um, target, we've we've got different work streams to help us achieve that, one of which is a uh, an innovation pilot fund, uh, which I um, coordinate, and, th- and that's uh, very much the Environment Agency working with our delivery partners, designers, contractors, um, looking at the projects that we've got in the programme for those opportunities to trial, pilot, emerging and new um, construction materials and products. A flood wall is a great place to perform a real-world pilot like this. The walls at Hexham were designed using upturned T pieces. These have a flat base with the wall rising up from the middle. They would be exposed to water, putting their performance to the test. They would be visible so cores could be taken. And they were on land owned by the Environment Agency. So it would be simple to access the site over years of checks on the material's performance. For the trial, BAM poured three concrete types. The first was C3A already covered by the standards. This uses 50% Portland cement with 50% GGBS. This was used for most of the work. Then two short sections were poured using novel mixes. One was a Portland limestone fines concrete. This consists of 20% crushed limestone with 35% Portland cement and then 45% GGBS. And the last was an AACM of a type that Tarmac has developed with the help of an Australian partner, Wagner's, and is just now bringing to market. We we do have an in-house solution in the company, but actually what we've just launched in London is an AACM system using the Wagner earth-friendly concrete activation system that they developed in Australia. It's a liquid system, so we've got one concrete plant running in London now at Silvertown, and we're looking at setting up a second so that we've got a backup plant, and we just started to introduce that AACM concrete based on the Wagner's activation system and their seven years durability testing that they've already got under their belt and actually start bringing that to the London market where it's appropriate. For the Hexham trial, the third section of the flood wall defences were poured using 95% GGBS and 5% of the alkaline activation solution. So this is, to my knowledge, the first permanent works actually adopted. So Arabs were the designer and took the design of using this type of concrete, or two new types of concretes, both not standardised at all at the time. It is vital that any novel material can be used with the same ease as those it replaces, that it is equally durable as well as achieving its carbon-cutting goals. And the Hexham trial showed that this was the case for new types of concrete. So this was constructed in uh, back in February. There's a lot of testing being done for durability, and some of those answers still aren't out yet, but everything we know so far we, we did learn how to make both types of concrete on our plants. Both survived three hours shelf life to get it to site. It was placed very well. It's had excellent finish. 
once that low carbon concrete reached to site, we were able to pour it as usual. The carbon emissions calculations were equally encouraging. The partners compared the C3A used for the main sections against SEM1, the traditional standard cement. Then the other two sections, using the composite ternary mix and alkali activated mix, were compared in the same way. The footprints against a, a SEM1, the C3A was about, roughly about 50% reduction on a SEM1 mix. The composite ternary mix was a 64% reduction against a SEM1. And the AACM once we've, was, was actually a 70% reduction. We learned from that project. And actually, if we made that same project today in the AACM, that would be a 79% reduction against a SEM1. The tests at Hexham showed that novel materials, even those like the AACM, with no carbon emitting cement clinker, can be poured like traditional materials and offer considerable carbon gains. With access to the seawall, ongoing performance tests will be possible. And with the adoption of the BSI Flex Standard 350, tests like this will give industry and standards experts vital information on how these new materials can be used safely and quickly enough that they can have a real impact on climate change. But how can the concrete industry and the supply chain develop transparent ways of triangulating cost, performance and carbon content? How can we all gain the power to look at a bag of concrete and see the carbon dioxide it embodies? As well as steering the development and funding of individual trials like Hexam, Andy takes a lead on the development of new ways of understanding and comparing the carbon. For this, he has worked with the ICE to establish a low-carbon concrete group. And this group has worked with the Green Construction Board to develop a rating system, very similar to the environmental performance grades used on household appliances. As part of the low-carbon concrete route map, there was a, a concrete benchmark rating system produced uh, within that, which is similar to when you buy appliances, sort of A to you know, F type rating system based on energy efficiency. So, so the, the idea is that with actual concrete embodied carbon data sitting behind it, so we know that those uh, mix types are and have been available, you're able to then plot the concrete that you're uh, specifying and purchasing on that rating system. These grades are dynamic. Rather than being set once, they're updated each year by comparing the performance of different concrete types as they come to market. The benchmarking system is interesting because each year the industry average exact numbers across strength classes will get remeasured. It's put through the Mineral Products Association, so it's anonymous goes out to ICE and then the actual carbon footprints on the different grading levels, they, they become more onerous as industry advances. So everyone that puts a new lower carbon concrete out will, will actually bring the targets uh, to, to a harder and lower point in, in the coming years. So uh, an A++ today uh, will have a lower footprint next year than it does this year. This dynamic approach is also being taken with the launch of a new brand from Tarmac, Sevo. That's spelled C-E-V-O. 
The C stands for both concrete and carbon, and the EVO represents the ongoing evolution of low-carbon concrete. Our CEVO brand means that we're being transparent in our quotes, in our optioneering for customers, so they can look at different options with different carbon footprints, different solutions, and very transparent for them to pick the lowest carbon solution on offer. It's going to provide a, a very long-lasting brand with transparent carbon footprinting, easy to explain, easy for people to understand if they're in a good or bad place. What we have at the moment is the challenge that the A++, which is the very best rating, there is only one product solution that meets that rating today, and that is alkali-activated uh, cementitious materials, AACMs. That's also the material that showed the best performance in the HEXAM trials. But as it contains no cement, it is not covered by the current version of BS8500. Further real-world use, guided by the BSI Flex 350 standard, will allow industry to gain more knowledge about the material and use it with confidence. But other concrete, with almost a strong carbon performance, are increasingly available, with more evidence on their other characteristics. If we come just a notch up to A+, then we're talking the new ternary composite range or C3Bs, which are in the 70%, 75% slag range, replacing clinker. Is the concrete industry and its customers ready to do the testing needed to show the performance of these novel materials, both in traditional terms and in carbon cutting terms? Ruth believes that it now sees the urgency of trying new materials. Hexam, it was pretty much two years of R&D exercise in order to get this low carbon concrete to site. So, you know, there is an element of, of, of a lot of research that goes into different types of products and what, what they actually are and, and how they differ from, I guess, traditional approaches or uses that, that projects are, are using. Once, clients would just want to get the job done, using known materials as quickly and cheaply as possible. But we all have an interest in limiting climate change. Time and, and cost doesn't necessarily have to be a hindrance anymore. Maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, it may be was different, but, but at the moment it's very much clients, delivery partners, everyone is, is working towards the same goal of reducing carbon emissions. So we, we are very much getting the opportunity now to, to bring these more novel materials to site and to trial. And with support for testing, with a grading scheme that adapts to the latest carbon cutting technologies, everyone will have a clear way to compare materials that meet their performance needs and that deliver on their carbon cutting aims and to assess this against the price. In terms of specifications and, and what we receive and work to, I think going forward, I think it's very much a collaborative effort between the client, the designer, you know, the supplier and the contractor to to really challenge what it is, what specifications are we working to, and to ensure that, well, it goes back to that challenge piece. 
are we using the lowest carbon concrete possible? Is it fit for purpose? What are we going to be using it for? Is it within permanent structure? Is it within kind of non-structural elements of a scheme? But I think it's really much we're now getting the opportunity to say, look, I'm not happy with this design spec. Why don't we look at something different? And when we can all look and see the carbon in a bag of concrete, we'll all be able to do something different. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Will North and hosted by me, Johnny Dowling, and by Rian Owen. Editing and series supervision by John Young, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, and our own man who dynamically grades our performance is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our partner for this episode, Tarmac, and thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, and on LinkedIn.